Welcome to the Life Community Church Podcast. We are so excited and thankful you've decided to join us. We have a very special message for you today that we pray blesses you. Big game tonight. So I'm going to be preaching a sermon about the Super Bowl. I'm not. I'm not really. That was a lie. So how many of you are for Kansas City? And how many for the other team? I don't even know what their name is. Who's the other team? The Eagles. The Philadelphia Beagles. All right. And then who's for nobody? Who doesn't care? That's me. <laughs> We're just here for the food, right? Just here for the snacks. So we're, we're in the seventh week of uh, change isn't change until it's changed. I'm a little disappointed. Y'all haven't changed yet. I thought, uh, I thought by week six it would have happened, but y'all seem to be exactly the same. So uh, <laughs> we're going to give it a couple more weeks and we'll move on to something else. Uh, we're talking today about the self-control of Jesus. Galatians chapter 5, we've been talking about this in between moralism uh, changing ourselves from the outside in, trying to change our behavior instead of being changed by the Holy Spirit from the inside out. That's the goal. That's what we're looking for. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So today we're going to look at the, how the Spirit works in us to give us self-control. We're talking about Again, lasting change, not just, not just learning how to apply moral controls, not just how to build a box, you know, a better box to help us behave. How do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to, so that we can battle against the stuff that keeps us from being where God wants us to be? All kinds of stuff. Not, you know, just keeps us from missing the mark of where God wants us to be. So how do we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us? Because the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer... The Holy Spirit is in you. He's sent the Holy Spirit to empower you. And the, the reason that Jesus said when the Spirit comes, he's going he's to take what is mine, what I and the Father have, and he's going to give it to you. So that's a good thing, right? In other words, he's going to give us what belongs to Jesus and what Jesus has said. We're going to remember it. We're going to retain it. It's going to help us. So in uh, Galatians, it says, walk by the Spirit. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Okay? Is it on, my, on your mark? You say go. Uh, <laughs> for these are in opposition. Oh, wait. I, I lost my place. For the flesh that is desire against the spirit. I'm easily distracted. And the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Then Jesus, in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, we get, you know, we've been trying to apply, how did Jesus ex give us an example of each of these characteristics of love, joy, peace, gentleness? How did, the, how did Jesus demonstrate this? And we see self-control, how he demonstrates self-control. And in reality, it's not self-control, it's spirit control, but how do we demonstrate Self-control, and he does it when he is tempted in the wilderness. Jesus shows us how to more effectively face temptation. Luke chapter four: Jesus, full of the Spirit, 
returned from the Jordan. He'd just been baptized by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit had descended on him, and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, which is kind of a, a picture of the children of Israel being led around in the wilderness, you know, before they got to go into the promised land for 40 days, and they also had to cross the Jordan River. And he ate nothing during those days, and when it, they had ended, he became hungry, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it's written, man shall not live on bread alone. But, and he led him up and showed him all the kingdom, kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I'll give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him up to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him and said, it, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, that's an interesting point there. There was more than three, but we get three. He left him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout all the surrounding district. And he began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by all. Self-control is staying on course in the face of temptation. It's going the right direction when everything's trying to get you to get, go the wrong direction. So we're going to talk about four things. What temptation is, the inevitability of temptation, how temptation works, and then how do we defeat it. So first, how do, we want to learn about what temptation is. It says, so in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, Luke 4, 14. And Jesus returning to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout all of the surrounding districts. So, so Jesus was filled with the Spirit before he was tempted. He was filled with the Spirit after he was tempted. It wasn't, a, it wasn't that there was something lacking in him that caused him to be tempted. He was spiritually ready, he was spiritually prepared, but even though he was in that place, he was still tempted. Temptation is an exit ramp from the road that God's called you to be on. Temptation comes to get us all off of purpose. Uh, there's all kinds of exits off the road. There's lots of exits. Anger. You ever gotten off the road in anger? There's uh, temptations to sex. I'm not going to ask you that question. I don't want to see those hands. Temptation to money, temptation to power. There's, I mean, it's, it's, it's virtually endless. Temptations to quit. And in your mind, you, you, you know, we, we, the game we play with ourselves is I can get off and I can get right back on. I'll just get off and I can get back on. And we went, to, a couple months ago, we went to a party down at Farmer's Market for Eden's birthday. And on Sunday afternoon, there wasn't any parking. So I'm, we're dri I was driving around. I dropped Tina off. And I was driving around looking for a parking space. And so 
there's road, I think it's Harwood. I tried to look it up on the map, but it just didn't make sense on the map either. There's a road that you think, okay, I'm, I'm going to exit here. I, so I got, I got on the end of Harwood, and it, it dead ends on the service road on I-30. And I made a right with my intention of going down a block and coming up. <laughs> no, it just put me on I-30. It was, an inter- it was just an entrance ramp to I-30. Once you made that right, you were getting on I-30. You didn't have any choice, like it or not. And then there's not an exit until you get to the other side of the Trinity River and you get on over by the post office. You've gone five or six miles the other direction, and you're, you're totally off track. So, you know, I called Tina. She said, where are you? I said, well, and I don't know how I got this. I said, I'm in front of Methodist Hospital, and I have no idea how I got here, and I'm going to have to stop and put the location back so maps will help me get back because I'm totally lost. And all I, all I thought, I just thought, I'm just going gonna, gonna to make a block. Just going to circle the block. I'm going to find me a cheap sparking pot, sparking pot, parking spot. I'm not going to pay 10 bucks. To park a car. But that's what sin does. It takes you further than you wanted to go, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and it costs more than you plan to pay. We think, well, you know, and, and God is so gracious and God is so good and God is so kind. We think this is the way forgiveness works, right? You mess up and you get right back on track. And that's the goodness and grace of God. You mess up, you get right back on track. And it ha- that works most of the time. It works some of the time. I mean, you can always get back on track. But sometimes those momentary temptations and sins can be crippling and debilitating and cause great loss. You might drive drunk 200 times and get by with it. Or you might kill somebody the first time you do it. And if you do, will God forgive you? Absolutely. But the consequences are not going to go away just because God's forgiven you. That's the, sometimes the trouble we have. We think, well, well, did God forgive me? Yes, absolutely God will forgive you of anything and everything. But the consequences don't go away because of it. You still reap what you've sown. The Bible says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. See, self-control is the ability to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. To choose, to choose God's plan down the road, God's will for us, God's purpose, God's destiny for us, and to, to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. It's to choose the important thing over the urgent thing. You know, what I, what I feel like I need to, I want to do right now. What's the important stuff? Well, Jesus told us what the important stuff is. He says, love God with all your heart and love your neighbors yourself. What's the important stuff? Put God first in your life. Love the people around you. Love your neighbors as yourself. Work for justice. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. That's what, what does he require of us? That's, that's what he wants of us, and that's how we're going to deal with and face temptation. If we're gonna, it's, it's a reality. It's going to happen. Number two, the second point, it's inevitability. You're going to be tempted. Anybody in here ever been tempted? Yeah. Jesus was tempted at the height of his spiritual strength. I mean, he just got baptized in the Jordan. The Holy Spirit had descended on him. 
This father, the father has spoken to him. I mean, it's, it's, it's a good day, you know. And then, then he's driven by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So it, then he's tempted in his, on his worst day. His worst day is when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's about to die on the cross for our sins. And it's going to be a tremendous loss for him. It's going to be very painful. It's, it's not going to just be death. We've talked about this a lot. But he's going to die everybody's death. He's going to take everybody's sin. He's going to take everybody's punishment. And he's going to take everybody's eternal, eternal damnation on himself. He's going to die a horrible death. And so in the midst of that, Satan comes and tempts him to, to give up on this journey, to, to not do what God's will is. And that, that's how we're tempted. He was tempted at the height of his spiritual strength. We often think, if I'm being tempted, there must be something wrong with me. In other words, if I'm being tempted, I, there, I must be... I must be a really, really good sinner or that I'm just, I'm flawed. But Jesus was tempted and you're going to be tempted. Jesus was perfect and filled with the spirit. There wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't any sin in him at all. And still the temptation came. Temptation is inevitable. You get that? So if temptation is inevitable, the 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 key is we need to get ready for it. If it's going to happen, if we know it's going to happen, we ought to get ready. First Peter 5, 8 says, know this, be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Temptation is normal. It comes to everybody all the time. It just depends on how you react to it. But everybody's going to face it. Spiritual people face it, unspiritual people face it, people who have been a Christian a week, people who have been a Christian 40 years, everybody faces temptation. And so we have to be ready for it. He wants to devour you. What does he want to do? He wants to get you off track. He wants you to get outside of God's purpose for your life, loving God with all your heart, loving your neighbors yourself. He, he wants to get you off purpose. How does temptation work? That's interesting. It's interesting that when Satan wants to tempt Jesus, he doesn't make some lovely, voluptuous woman appear naked, right? He doesn't take him out clubbing, if that's even the right way to describe that. I have no idea. <laughs> he doesn't take him out and get him drunk. He tempts him with bread. What's, what's wrong with bread? And then he says, he tempts him with safety. Lest you dash your foot against a stone. And then he tempts him with success and power. All the kings of the world. I'll give you all the kings of the world. Well, I mean, what's, what, what's wrong with bread? I mean, bread's wonderful. Bread's, bread's delightful. I mean, hot out of the oven, you know, Nobody likes the rolls at Texas Roadhouse. You know, they bring those out, a little honey butter. And uh, you, three, you can throw down about three or four of them, you know, before you even realize it. They just melted, you know, melted the butter. Then they just melted in your hands and they just run to your middle. <laughs> Never go away. I still have all the, they're here. I mean, bread, hot bread. I mean, 
donuts, cakes, cookies, bread. We love it. What's, what, what's wrong with bread? Turning stones into bread. He said, why, why is that a problem? It's not because it's bread. The devil is saying, turn these stones into bread. The devil's always selling shortcuts. He's like, why, why wait? I mean, see, God has a process of how you get bread, and it, it takes quite a bit of time. Farmer has to plant the proper seeds. He has to wait for those seeds to grow. He has to cultivate that and you know, get to keep the weeds and the goats and the cattle out of it and so he can grow that seed. And then they take that seed, and they have to harvest that seed, and they have to get that seed to a place where they're going to separate the seed you know, from the outside of the shaft, from the, from the seed kernel. Then somebody's going to take that flour and grind that flour. And then you've got to go through the process of making bread and wait for the bread to rise or not rise, depending on which kind of bread you're making. And then you've got to warm up the oven. Back then, they had to build a fire, and it was a lot of work to build a fire in the oven. They had to put the, put it, the bread in the oven, wait for that bread. In other words, it's, how many of y'all make your own bread? When you want to, you're not living on the bread you made because it takes too much time. I mean, nobody plucked a chicken this week so we could have chicken. Maybe Amanda did. We'll have to find out. Because she's got a chicken plucking machine. <laughs> Which is, you know, really off topic. But anyway, it's kind of fascinating. Isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> See, the devil's selling a shortcut. Turn this stone into bread. Why wait? Why wait for the, the right time, for God's time? You're, if you're the son of God, you have the ability to do it. Did he have the ability to do it? Yes, he did. Could he have done it? Yes. But, but it's a shortcut. There's nothing wrong with safety. He says, uh, he put, took him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said, throw yourself down. And then he quotes scripture because the Bible says, the word says that angels are going to bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone because Satan even knows how to use scripture against you. So you better know it better than he does. What's, what's wrong with safety? There's nothing wrong with safety, but it's presumptuous. He said, you, you shouldn't put the Lord your God to the test. What's he saying? He said, you shouldn't presume upon the goodness of God and do stupid stuff and just hope you can get by with it. That's what he's saying. Do foolish stuff and then call on God to protect you. God, if you love me, suspend the law of gravity and let me jump off this high place. If you, you know... Prove you love me, God. I'm going to jump off and protect me before I hit the bottom. Well, that's, that's presuming upon the goodness of God. Asking God to prove he loves you. I don't know if you know this, but he already did that. <laughs> he, he already proved that he loves you. And it's funny how we, we get these crazy thoughts in our head. I think it was Tina was telling me that when she was a little girl, and Tina was not, she did have, she wasn't raised in church, she, but she was when she was, uh, was it riding the bus? When she was about 10 or 12 years old, that she would hear these voices in your head. If you have faith, throw yourself out of this, this moving vehicle and uh, God will catch you. And so she had these random you know, you know, uh, thoughts to prove that you have faith. That's presumption. God doesn't ask you to, to do those, those kinds of things. He doesn't want you to do those. It's, it's presuming. See, God loves you. But life is risk. I don't, you know, you came a risk coming here today. 
You, you, you took a risk getting up and maybe taking a shower. That's pretty dangerous. People fall and, and hit their heads and die in the shower. I mean, you, you know, you took a risk. People cut themselves in the kitchen. You know, you, you saved yourselves by coming here and getting a donut. I know it was, uh, you know, uh, it was a safety measure. But God wants you to be brave and courageous, but he doesn't want you to be presumptuous. God would want you to run into a burning building. We have people here. We have officers here today that would risk their lives for you. Firemen who run into a burning building. But he doesn't want you to run into a burning building for the fun of it. That's presumptuous. That's presuming upon the goodness of God. It's, it's not acting in real faith. He, he wants us. God does call us to live courageous lives. And he says, hey, all the, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you'll just bow down and worship me. And he says, you shall worship only the Lord your God. See, here's, Jesus knows that the kingdom's coming. Jesus knows that the very reason he came was to set us free from the power of Satan. He came to destroy the works of the devil. So when Jesus came, Philippians 2, verse 9 and 10, for this reason God highly exalted him. So Jesus came, lived a sinless life, died our death, ascended to the Father, and when he ascended to the Father, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So it's all coming. It's all coming pretty quickly, and Jesus knows that. He knows that it's all going to happen, but it's going to happen in God's time, and it's going to be very difficult. Sometimes we don't like that part. Satan knows his judgment's coming, but doesn't know when or where. He's selling shortcuts. Why wait? Most temptation, the trouble we get ourselves into is we're not willing to wait. Temptation is often even not a bad thing. It's, it's not about doing a bad thing. I mean, what's wrong with bread? It, it's a good thing that you put in the wrong place, in the wrong order, in place of God before God. You, you can put your family in the wrong place. You can put your family before God. Your family can become your God. You can put your work before God. It can become an idol to you. You can put romantic love before God. I mean, we're, you know, we're, man, we're about to have February the 14th. I hope you're, everybody's ready for Tuesday night. I want you to say I have bought some, um, some romantic gifts. Uh, I think I've nailed it this year. Uh, I, got, uh, I got a puzzle board. I've already given it to her. It's not a surprise. I'm not, not. I got a puzzle board that you, know, that you put on the table, and it's got, you can turn it so you can do the puzzle you know, from different directions. You know, and then it's got edges so you don't ever lose a piece of the puzzle. Because isn't that crazy? You get to the very end, you're like, and our dog, if one hits the floor, it's like it's gone. He's going to chew it up. She's going to chew it up. I should know whether it's male or female by now. She's going to chew it up. <laughs> and then I bought her a salt and pepper shaker. So I think I've nailed this weekend. So it's not, I mean, Tuesday night. So, so uh, 
but we, you, can, you can put romantic love before God. It's like, you know, this, if I just had romantic love, it would solve my, if, if I could find the person, they would solve my problem. And I will tell you, and you, will all, you all know this, you can find the perfect person, and they're not going to solve your problem. They're actually going to bring some different ones. I mean, it's, it's glorious. It's delightful. Being married is wonderful. It's also sometimes very difficult because maybe she didn't want a puzzle board. I didn't ask her. <laughs> I was willing to jump out there for 75 bucks and take the risk. Number four, how do we defeat temptation? Jesus fights every temptation with the word of God. I mean, it's just clear. How do we fight temptation? We're going to have to fight it with the word of God. Jesus fights every temptation. He knows the word of God. He's able to speak the word of God into the situation that empowers him. He's filled with the spirit. He's empowered by the spirit. And then when Satan tempts him with these very, you know, very definite temptations, he's able to speak. He knows where he stands. He's able to stand on the word of God, not stand on, you know, uh, just his emotions, his feelings of the moment. So Jesus fights every temptation with the word of God. So we should too. How are we going to fight temptation? We're going to have to fight temptation with the word of God. Now, Ephesians 6, 17 tells, tells us, and take the helmet of salvation. It's talking about all the armor that we need to put on there. It's a good, good chapter of scripture. You should read Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, Jesus didn't see the word of God as a bunch of rules that boxed him in uh, <laughs> because he is the word. He saw those words as life. They're the sword. So these words are the sword of the spirit. They are an offensive weapon against the lies and half-truths of the enemy. So even when Satan came to him with a part of a, a, part of a scripture verse, he's going to bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus came back with the, with the verse that said, well, yeah, but don't put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus knew what the Word of God said. It's so important that we know what the Word of God says. Uh, it's our offensive weapon against those lies because the enemy's going to, that's his, that's his uh, stock and trade. He's a liar. And he's going to lie to you. So how are you going to stand against the lies? You have to stand against the lies. If you don't have a sword in a sword fight, you're in trouble. I mean, that's, doesn't that make sense? If you don't have a sword in a sword fight, you're in trouble. And that's what we're doing here every week. I mean, what are we, what are we doing here every week? We're, hopefully, we're helping you sharpen your sword. You're learning how to wield it. I mean, can you imagine going to... When I, when I see those old movies, you know, you see like Braveheart, those guys that are wielding these big, huge, you know three or four, five-pound swords. And can you, I mean, have you ever, like, tried to hold a weight up for, like, more than 30 seconds? Can you imagine wielding a sword like that in battle, trying to protect yourself and trying to fend off other swords for more than two or three minutes and not just, oh, all right, kill me, I'm, I'm out of energy. You know, <laughs> I can't hold this sword another minute, I'm done. I mean, I'm... It's, a, it's, a, it's an unbelievable contest of strength and will and, and skill and determination. And your spiritual life is the same way. 
So we need to know how to wield the sword of the word of God. We need to know what the word of God says because Satan's going to come with lies. You are bombarded. You and I are bombarded with more lies than any people in history. We are bombarded with half-truths. I mean, they don't even tell the They're not telling the truth about God. They don't tell the truth about anything. We're so bombarded with lies. If we don't know what the word of God says, then we certainly can't stand against the lies of the enemy. And it's going to be a battle. It's going to be hard. I thought he was coming up with a sword. I was worried. <laughs> Go get my sword. It's my office. You know. <clears throat> we have to prepare ourselves. It's a fight. We're in a fight. We're in a fight for our spiritual lives. We're in a fight for our family. We need to know God's word. We need to be able to stand on God's word. We need to be able to say, no, no, no. When he comes with his accusations and his guilt and his shame to say, no, 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 that is a lie. Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. I'm a child of God. I belong to him. I've been bought with a price. I've been clothed with his righteousness. I know who I am in Christ. You're a liar. You've got to know where you stand because if you don't, he's going to lead you down a path of destruction. He's going to get you to take an exit at a time when you're feeling lonely or depressed or discouraged or you're going through a battle or things are tough at work or things are tough at home or you've got teenagers and you're thinking, I don't think I'm going to go home this week. <laughs> you're going to have those times and you have to be able to stand strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It's not you being tough. It's learning how to depend on him. It's learning how to trust his word. It's learning how to take it at face value. I mean, you think, we, when we think about the temptation of Jesus, we don't think of it as a bad thing because it's a good thing for us. I mean, Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So that everything that we will ever go through, he understands it. His temptation brought him closer to us in identification. And then it accomplished something powerful and wonderful, this temptation, this ability that he he went, faced sin for us, made him a faithful, makes him a faithful high priest. Hebrews 4.15. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. It's precious to us because it empowers us. Now he understands us. The ad campaign says he gets us. And this is how. He gets us because he went through it for us so that we can run to him. We can have confidence at the throne of grace. We're not walking into the presence of God filled with shame and regret and over our sins and our mistakes. Yeah, we got them. Right? But we're walking into the throne room of God covered 
with the righteousness that he purchased for us to walk boldly. We are able to walk in with the same boldness into the throne room that Jesus himself would walk into the throne room. We have the same authority because of what Jesus did and gave to us to come before God in our weakness, in our struggle, in our pain. Just as Jesus on the the night when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's crying out to God. We have the same authority to come and cry out to God in our pain. And when Jesus cried out to God in his pain in the Garden of Gethsemane, God was silent. God was silent when Jesus cried out so that he wouldn't be silent when you cry out. He made a way for us. The Spirit's job, we've been learning. What's the Spirit's job? The Spirit's job is to make Jesus real to us. It's to help us see what Jesus did for us and see how he does it and what he does. Christ's truth sets us free from the chains of sin. How do we overcome temptation? His truth. St. Corinthians says, we are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God and we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. The word and the spirit unmask the sin and shows us the death of it. So that we've talked about, you see, we, we tend to believe unreal things and we don't believe real things. We believe the lie that the enemy have told, has told us. And we reject the truth of God. Some of you are still in bondage to a lie. Somebody in your life, from the time you were five or to 30, somewhere in your formative years looked at you and said, you're never going to amount to anything, or you're worthless, or you're, they say all kinds of things. People say all kinds of things, speak all kinds of things into your life. And that, that got lodged in your spirit. And then the enemy of your soul, every time he could, he would reinforce that. Yeah, you're worthless. Yeah, you're no good. See what they said? See how they walked away from you? See how they ignored you? See how they, see they don't love you. They don't care about you. The enemy of your soul has reinforced that. You have believed a lie. And Jesus comes to set us free so that the Holy Spirit shows us the truth of what is real. There's something real. God loves you more than you can imagine. Yes, you are broken and sinful, but Jesus died to set you free to show you that you are more real, more loved is the real truth than you could ever imagine so that he can set us free from the law of sin and death. Let's stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, help us overcome temptation. Lord, we need a sword for the battle. If we don't know how to use a sword, we need to learn how to use a sword. We need to spend enough time in the Word that we know how to use it. Lord, help us to to be people of the Word of God that know what your Word says so we can stand equipped. Lord, by the power of your Spirit today, come and show us Jesus and break every lie. Show us Jesus and break every chain. Show us Jesus and break every bondage. Set the captives free. Set at liberty them that are bound. Lord, we need you today to show us where we have believed a lie. Would you just ask the Lord, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I want to know every place in my life where I'm believing a lie. 
And I want you to set me free by the truth of the Spirit of God. It's true. God loves me. Jesus paid the highest price for me. I'm precious. I'm treasured. I'm a child of the Most High God. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. We'll be up here at the front praying for you if you need prayer. I love you. Have a great week. This has been the Life Community Church Podcast. Thank you for listening.